0: This is Laura looking for love, and this week I received the audio of the story I told at the Moth's Grand Slam here in L.A. I plan to post the video of it soon, but I thought I would share it first on this podcast. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Moth, it's a nonprofit organization that has been giving voice to people so that their stories can be heard. They have a radio show, but also in many major cities around the world, they have story slams, an open mic gathering where people put their names in a hat and ten names are drawn. Those ten tell a five-minute true story about themselves, with no notes. Each slam has a theme, and the story must fit the theme. Well, I only discovered the moth a few years ago, and it was right around the time I was going to turn 40. And because I was going to turn 40, I was like, yeah, what the heck, I'll do it. So I went to the story slam with my best friend Jose, who you will get to know soon, and I put my name in the hat. But before I put my name in the hat, the guy taking our names looks me up and down and says... Have you ever been here before? No. Do you know the rules? Yes. Yeah. You don't have to do it. I say, you don't have faith in me at all. He says, without smiling. I'm just saying. Oh, I'm going to do it. So Jose and I find the last two seats right in the front. And as we sit down, a blonde hipster guy walks up to the name taker and says, I want to tell a story. The guy looks at him and says, I have a good feeling about you. I turn to Jose and say, motherfucker, I better get picked because I'm going to win. So to give context, there are a couple hundred people, and maybe 30 or so have their names in the hat. So each name is called as the night goes on, and I watch eight people tell their stories. And I finally get called at number nine. And yes, I won. And because I won, I got to tell another story at the Grand Slam. One even more personal that I'm sharing today in front of 650 strangers. It's a story that has been brewing over several years, waiting to emerge. The topic was identity crisis, and this was mine.
1: 911, what is your emergency? There is a robbery that's happening right now in front of my parents' home, and I need you to send the police right away. Ma'am, what exactly is going on? I knew that as I tried to explain the complex matter, of online fraud and corrupt delivery men she wouldn't understand because I lived in the gray and most people were used to black and white. By the time the police arrived, they realized I was telling the truth. And then one of them said, honestly, we thought you were crazy. That word always feels like a punch to my gut. My whole life, I was the crazy girl seeing things beneath the surface I was the five-year-old who saw the other five-year-old crying on the benches. She never knew, but I cried too. I bore witness to other people's pain to help ease their burden. But, and the more I cried, the more crazy I was seen. But I didn't want to be crazy, so I learned to act normal. I learned to trust others over myself. And by the time I was 34, I had created a life that wasn't mine. And that's when I met him. He was known in the Japanese-American community, a top volunteer in Ellie's little Tokyo. On our first date, I saw red flags, but I thought, if everyone thinks he's great, then I must be wrong, so I ignored them. And then he hurt me, emotionally, then suddenly physically, and when I tried to leave, he stalked me. I changed my number, I shut down my Facebook, but he still found ways to get to me for months. One day, as I was cleaning my garage, I looked up and there he was, staring at me. When I screamed in shock, he smiled, my torment clearly giving him pleasure. I finally filed for a straining order. I warned the community to protect other women, but they couldn't see it because he was a master of torturing in the gray, never leaving visible scars. And they could only see in black and white that a Japanese male volunteer could only be good. But then I found another woman tortured by him and she wanted to help. She said she would write a letter for court. But the day before trial, her friend called and said she changed her mind. She's scared of what he'll do. Devastated, I suddenly remembered he had mentioned another woman's name. She was a friend of a friend. So I called and said, can you tell her to call me? It's about him. Not five minutes passed. And my phone rang. Did he stalk you? Yes. Did you report it? No. Would you be willing to write a letter for court? I really want to, Laura, but I just can't risk it. But I really hope you win. The next morning, he appeared clean cut in a designer suit, the the judge a blonde female, unsmiling and cold. Her face softened as he said he was heartbroken, that I never told him to stop. I blurt out, that's a lie, gavel pounds, the judge says, don't you interrupt him. When it is my turn, I provide the evidence, including voicemails of the times he said he was, admitted that he was sexually harassing me. The moment I say the word sexual harassment, he raises his hand, your honor, I don't know what that means, and if I ever use those words, it was only because I was repeating her, a college graduate, U.S. born citizen and he does not know. I look up at the judge and she nods, accepting his statement. She says, we don't have time to listen to those. And if he was so bad, why didn't you call the police sooner? She didn't understand that this, just what happened now, is why not being believed and then punished for not acting the right way in the hands of a sociopath, restraining order denied. I went. I burst into tears. Without that paper, I was just a crazy girl with a crazy story. I went into hiding, crying for months. And when I finally emerged, a man appeared, his name Jose. And he believed me. One day, my neighbor texted, that guy is back. Jose said, you're not going home alone. I said, I don't want him to hurt you. Laura, I'm Mexican. I've been stabbed. (laughs) I know how to fight. huh?" Okay, you can come. (laughs) So by the time we got there, he was gone. But Jose, he became my emotional warrior by my side when I needed to cry, kissing my cheek and eating my tears. And when I screamed out in rage, he was there swallowing my pain so he could take it far away to spit out and bury. Yes, he was the one to finally bear witness to me. Two years after my day in court, I found myself back in little Tokyo at a signing for a book I wrote of the story of me and Jose. And from my table on the second floor, there was a moment where the people on the stairway cleared. And at the bottom stood the stalker in his volunteer shirt looking up at me. And when our eyes met, he smiled. And while the rest of the world saw him as just a man smiling, I saw his message that he got away with it, that this was still his playground. But little did he know that this was not the end. He should have looked harder because beneath the layer of weakness he once saw in me was a strength that was rising to the surface. And because he only saw me in my silence, he did not know the sharpness of my words or the power of my voice. And I knew that one day I would use them to tell my story outside of the courtroom and beyond closed doors because I am not crazy and he fucked with the wrong girl.